I am going to tweet Jeff Bezos and tell him that you called him that. (laughs) (laughs) This is why he's working so hard in the gym. (laughs) Welcome to Another Bite. This week, we're rewatching some of Shark Tank's most innovative and, well, most unique stocking stuffers for your last-minute holiday shopping. I'm Ariel Boswell, and I'm joined by John Dick. Hey. And special guest who you may know as the face of the Hustle social media, social media manager Nicole Phillips. Hey, thanks for having me. Today, we're talking Mark Cuban's biggest regret, a product that will keep your holidays spinning, and everyone's favorite adolescent pastime. Popping zits. You just love to hear it. But you know what else we love to hear? Our first ad spot of the day. Roll it. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping up sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. First up in the tank is Poppet Pal. It's the world's first ever pimple popping simulator, which is essentially a silicone sponge with six pimples to squeeze gooey pus-like substance from. Well, that's a description I can't unsee. Yeah. <laughs> We are kicking it back to season 10, which aired in December of 2018. And we have a family of entrepreneurs, uh, Bill Pierce and his wife, Summer, um, and his cousin, Kayla Roof, coming in asking for a $250,000 investment for a 10% stake in their Poppet Pal company, which comes out to about a $2.5 million valuation. Uh, we have great guest shark panel for this episode. We have Rohan Oza and Bethany Frankel joining. Initial thoughts on this product. What do you think? I'm, Nicole, I'm so glad you're here. Is this true about pimples being viral on social media? Is this a thing? Yeah, I mean, they have the right idea in terms of the ASMR appeal of watching pimple popping videos. I, I have been caught on some Dr. Pimple Popper videos myself, <laughs> but I've never wanted to pop like pimples on my own, like I've never wanted to do it. Like I just watch it, so I don't know if they 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 got it all the way there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, good to know that th- these videos are getting so many views. Uh, this is not a corner of the internet I've stumbled upon uh, yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean they would probably do very well on TikTok. I'm saying when I scroll through TikTok, you cannot. Well, at least may- maybe I'm just in the weird part of TikTok because I'm saying all this with the understanding that the <laughs> algorithm follows what I want, <laughs> but I can't scroll without <laughs> seeing some sort of pimple popping or ASMR something or other going on. And so maybe they could really have a great, robust TikTok influencer life there. I just don't know about, you know, giving, putting the power of the pimple popping in another person's hands. I don't know how much people want that, but I mean, we love to watch it or I do. I just speak for myself because I don't know if you guys are into that. TikTok is kind of like being in like a, uh, like a a house of mirrors uh, with all Mm. sorts of like horrible, like really messed up mirrors that make you look all like really not like yourself. You know, that's, that's, that's TikTok in a nutshell. I, I think this is a really interesting idea. I think that this is just the kind of niche weird product that could sell lots and lots and lots of pimple simulation out to the world. Um, Not saying I myself 
would be interested in it, but I could see how others would be. And so uh, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by it. And I think they're onto an interesting idea. And I, I like the whole backstory. I like that they were driving down the road. Mm-hmm. I like that they were talking about business ideas. <laughs> and the best thing they came up with was this, uh, yeah, pimple popping simulator. I love that John's politely throwing shade there. He's like, you know, it's not for me. It's not, you know, I won't yuck your yum. It's not my lifestyle, but you know, for you, go for it. I'm saying it may not be for me, but I get it. I get it and I see it. And if I was evaluating this business, I would certainly want to know more. Do you agree with their valuation of a 2.5 million for this product off the bat? Feels a little high to me, but listen, they're selling a lot, right? They've sold... $315,000 $315,000 over the last four months, yep. mostly on the back of viral social media videos. The virality has died off. So I'm a little nervous that their forecast of doing like a million dollars in a year is potentially a little bit ambitious. But I have a feeling this could sell hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for many years um, and could really make its way into retail outlets um, in terms of just kind of like gag gifts, joke gifts, that kind of thing. It's just weird enough. And hey, they talked about the benefit of it being stress relief. Who is not stressed right now? I'm more stressed than I've ever been in my life, I feel like. Just like generally living in this world. And if this will help me with stress relief, you know, I'm in on it. All right. So one unit sells for $19.99 and it costs $8.32 to make, which is a pretty expensive cost for um for production overall. But I think Bethany brought up a really good point as the sharks were kind of looking into the product, kind of demoing it and feeling it, um, that it seems like a rubber brick sponge from a product perspective. I'm going to try to say this politely like my friend John over here. It's kind of <laughs> ugly. <laughs> like It's just I, ugly. <laughs> it's a block. Honest. It's a yeah. block. Yeah. I'm afraid. This seems like a rubber brick sponge. This is like looking at Kevin's back. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be. I mean, you're popping pimples. Why not it be a face or something? I mean, we're already weird. We're already, the same thing. We've gotten this far. Get it customized to your face. Round like yeah. a little bit. Put a little bit more contour on it. Plus... I feel like actually not having some rounded edges would probably make it more difficult to execute. Like Lori, poor Lori, she really, really wanted to pop a pimple and she like could not figure it out. Honestly though, mine's not working. So, like, okay, let's- and I kept thinking it's because like, it's just flat. Like where are you popping from? Yeah, you really have to like squeeze down to get like the the pusses or the juices to come out. Um, interesting, 350K um, over four months of sales, all purely through that video content. And what was interesting too that they mentioned from a social lens is there was a good amount of user-generated content or UGC that came out of from a promotional perspective, which I think, you know, just really shows again that demand when you have that advocacy within, you know, the community amplifying like, hey, this works or this is how I utilize it. Some of the best marketing you could get. So, Nicole, how worried should I be about this business that their virality has come to a halt, right? Like they're getting like they are getting like 50,000 views a month now, but like they popped off like a a pimple popped uh, like 30 million views right away. Like, should I actually be concerned about investing in them because they're not still like at the same level of viewership that they were when they first got started and made all those sales? 
for me, it's a cause for concern because, yeah, their viewership dropped off pretty significantly. But then on top of that, we live in a world where there's so much demand for ASMR content. Why can't they sustain? Why aren't they Mm -hmm. rising above the rest of the competition? There is a lot of ASMR competition. We have professional pimple poppers out there. We can see the real thing. As a, um, a connoisseur of ASMR pimple popping videos, <laughs> learned so much about you, Nicole. <laughs> I mean, ASMR is like it's like the it's a gateway drug. You start with soap cutting, and then you just like move your way on through all mukbang videos. Yeah, all of a sudden you're watching a mukbang, and you're like, "What happened to me? And where did my weekend go? Yeah, you're like, what happened? <laughs> Who hasn't been this there? Weekend? Yes, but I will say with with all of the ASMR content that I that I consume, I have never come across a pop it Instagram or Instagram Reel or TikTok video throughout my algorithm. So that is saying something as well. Yeah. I'd say like of all the risks I saw to the business, that was probably the biggest one. Like they're selling it for 20 bucks. You know, they basically, they're making it for like $8 and like around eight bucks, right? Like they think they they can get that down by getting more volume. I bet they can get it down even further. None of the, none of like the core elements of like what they're selling it for or what it costs have me that worried. It basically comes down to, can they get distribution on it? And it's so weird that I don't think they can rely on traditional distribution for that. Yeah. And I think, I think Bethany calls that out, right? When she says, you know, hey, I'm not in the novelty gag business. But I think what was interesting, I wasn't expecting Kevin uh, to come in and kind of jump on the opportunity. So of course, he came in with a royalty. He had some good ideas about different colors of pus, which I don't know would be more appealing or a little strange uh, to see if any of you have particular thoughts on an extension of different I was about to say different flavors, but different uh, views. Please that's a whole request. different extension. Ariel, that's a whole different deep, dark side of TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's the even I'm not algorithm. on that side of TikTok. <laughs> but uh, he said he'd offer 250K for a royalty of $1.50 per unit. So not surprising Kevin coming in with a royalty. The 150 uh, royalty would be until $750,000 is recouped and then 5% equity. This is a tough this is a very tough offer I think uh for the entrepreneur to take. Um and just to like fast forward a little bit, a second offer comes out on the table which is Mark Cuban basically offers like don't get involved in that royalty garbage like uh, just mm-hmm. give me a huge chunk of equity. Give me 25% of equity in the company. And so you basically have these two offers and I think the question is like well is this royalty going to, you know, really harm the business or not? Like, will they be able to grow? And I don't, I don't actually, I think they're really going to struggle. So I was doing the math on it and basically like, and it would take two to three years for them to actually like get back to break even if they went with the Mr. Wonderful offer versus going with the Mark Cuban offer. So even though both offers are pretty tough, I actually would, I would personally go with the Mark Cuban offer mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to giving away the royalty. I think it would also leave more to invest in the business. Yeah, that's an interesting way to compare it and see whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze. Uh, so as we know, the episode ends with the Poppet Pals. They're making a deal with Kevin. So that leads us to our final segment. Do we still think that Poppet Pals is still a company? I'm going to say no. I'm going yes. I think they're out there. I think they've expanded their line. I think Mr. I think Mr. Wonderful has helped get them into a bunch of retail stores. Uh, I bet they're not selling a ton of unit volume, but I bet they're out there. Well... The Poppet Pals continue to prosper despite some setbacks of a failed Kickstarter campaign for Blackhead Buddy, which 
turns out some people don't like squeezing silicone-based body parts, which I know we discussed if it was like a little more of a face or a different body part. Turns out they didn't like it that much. Who knew? But there is no extended line of products beyond the block itself. The company holds a value of $5 million, and it looks like things are popping, so much so that Pop It Pals is actually worth millions. Next up in the tank, we have Rock Block, which aired a month later in January 2018. So this was season nine. Rock Block is a record player without the hassle of all the equipment. They deem themselves the world's first infinitely portable wireless record player. It literally rotates around the record itself on 33s and 45s on multiple surfaces. We had Logan Riley from San Francisco. Logan was asking for $300,000 for a 15% stake, which is a $2 million valuation. So let's get right to it. Portable record player with a built-in speaker. You guys buying this? I have a record collection. Do you have, do you have a record collection, Nicole? I do not. Uh, Ariel, do you have a record collection? No, but my younger brother is an old soul and likes to listen to 50s doo-wop music, so he has a record collection that I buy him records for. Random like side it. note. Well, but, there, there's yeah. this thing that happens with records where mm-hmm. you buy one and you're so excited about it because it's not like most albums come out on vinyl, like only some albums come out on vinyl, and you get it and you bring it home and you put it on your record player And then as you go to put the needle on, you, of course, slip and the needle scratches the very first track on the record. And then you hit play on it and it skips and it's horrible sounding. And so I could not get over the idea that this thing would not totally scratch up all my records. Like literally, it's just like a little like like remote control car with a needle (laughs) that drives around your record. Like I feel like unless you have it in like some like perfectly like laser balanced leveled flat surface like that like robotic cars is going to like slide off the record and scratch like just destroy your whole record i just could not get over how impractical it was that is a good point of something that i wish that they kind of showed was like the actual mechanics and like the bottom movement or any protection against like the record from causing any damage but i think there was an interesting conversation you know initially after the pitch um that the sharks brought up which is really around the tau or the total addressable market that we had um for this product in particular i mean what do you guys think do you think this is you know more of a product for audiophiles do you think there's a wider tau opportunity for folks getting indirect records or agree with the sharks that it's just a little too niche for consumers. I thought audio people who are really into music audiophiles, they're going to be really into this product. I've thought about getting a record player at one point, but I have no place to put it. So I thought that this would be kind of cool. He mentioned um, going to a picnic or hanging out with his friends one day and not being able to play the record. So I was thinking, you know, um, people love the throwbacks and the, the old school vibes and stuff. So I can see someone wanting to play a record in the middle of Central Park. You know, why not? But now that John has mentioned about the the scratch, you know, what happened when you scratch vinyl, things I've never actually really thought about. Um, now I'm like, okay, maybe it's not so much of um, like a, anyone who's a true audiophile will also be aware of this, right? So I'm looking at it from a perspective mm-hmm. of that's cool. Why not? And I actually did send the link to the website to one of my friends who I know was really into music because I thought she would there'd be something mm-hmm. she's into. What did she say? Yeah. Um, so she left me on red. That's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't actually respond to me. But But what marketing copy did you provide to entice her, Nicole? (laughs) 
<laughs> I would just say we learned think... everything we needed to learn about this. Yeah. In I fact, she's like, like she's taking you out like of her this. contact book. Like you're not friends anymore. <laughs> it's like, what is this direct marketing that's happening right now? <laughs> she's Nicole I... deleted. I sent her the the link and I was like, I think you and your husband might like this. She left me on red. I'm hoping it's because she was busy. Like, this is my friend. Sure. <laughs> I hope that was the right. I don't know now. Maybe she was so offended. She was like, no true audiophile would send this. <laughs> I, I think I think this is a product that might sell uh, for a very specific use case, which is for people mm-hmm. who don't have room for a record player and all the associated components uh, related to it. I think, though, what is going to happen with this product is I think the reviews are going to be incredibly bad. Mm-hmm. I think that this is going to very quickly spiral into a product that people are just like, this is just not actually a good product. Like, don't waste 100 bucks on it. Like, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. I happened to appreciate the novelty. I appreciate that he's trying to reinvent a whole category. I appreciate that he's trying to bring records to a whole new group of people. And by the way, I appreciate that he's one of the best pitches I'd ever heard on Shark Tank. Like he was good. I was like, oh, you are so well prepared and just absolutely nailed the pitch. Despite that, I think this is going to not make it very far and kind of spiral into just like not actually very usable, not very helpful. For $100, I would totally buy one. But Kevin brings up a very fundamental problem, I think, with kind of all the research and funding that Logan has done. And that's, you know, no customer feedback. And we know how important it is to really understand your customer, know what they want, be able to speak to them, you know, especially all being marketers here sitting at the table, um, which I thought was a very, you know, interesting point to kind of, you know, call out is they're kind of missing that more qualitative data to back up, you know, so much interest there. Yeah. As as I was uh, doing some research for this episode, I was looking for their social presence and I actually couldn't find Mm -hmm. one which would help with that Mm -hmm. qualitative data. But yeah, you would think that any company, it's 2022, would want to have a social presence. So that was a big red flag to me. Yeah, and then Mark proceeds to say, hey, I don't partner with inventors, nothing personal, just kind of not my shtick. But then Kevin comes in offering 300K, but instead of the 15% stake, he jumps up to 50% and claims that it's due to the risk relative to the ask. I felt like all the investors were a little harsh on this one. I'm not going to lie. I was like, for $100, I would get this. I would like a gift like this. Like the holidays are coming up. I wouldn't leave it on my shelf or tell someone to take it back. I mean, I think that it was worth a little bit more than they might have been thinking. Yeah. Let me ask, what uh, do you think that half a million dollars for 100% was... Do you think that was unfair also? So this guy is an inventor and he's probably going to come up with a lot other a lot of other ideas. So there is the case to be made of like take the money and run. Just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, take this. And then you're going to think of something else. Was it Mark Cuban who was like, you're just you're going to think of a bunch of other ideas. This is how in- inventors work. And, you know, and he already said he had some other ideas like in his head. So there there is also the case to be made of like take the money and run like take your 500,000. You don't even have a social presence. I don't know how people are even knowing about you me on Shark Tank, honestly. And then maybe work on something else, you know? Yeah. Because it's kind of interesting, right? Like my first reaction to uh, $300,000 for 50% is I was like, oh, I was like, boo, whatever, Mr. (laughs) Wonderful. Like, don't be a jerk. And then Robert offered him half a million dollars for 100%. I was like, go, Robert. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. This is a great deal. Even though Robert is valuing the company lower than Mr. Wonderful was valuing it, somehow like taking half the company was worse than taking 100% of the company and just paying the guy out altogether. Like, it just feels like it was just like a half a million for 100% is a win. He's going to get hired. He's going to get, you know, a royalty on it. Like, 
uh, so it's kind of funny how the psychology of that kind of works out uh, in your head. Yeah, I feel like there's, you know, two different types of or well, there's a few different types of entrepreneurs, you know, you have your folks that are really focused on innovation and wanting to, you know, invent the next product, kind of push out things, challenge the boundaries and the norms. You have the folks that are heavily invested in their company, can't part it, letting go of equity drives them nuts. And then you have the folks that are like, okay, I just want to sell this company. And I think Logan fell within kind of the first bucket and for Robert to offer, you know, hey, we'll hire you for two years at a six figure contract. I think that really demonstrated of like, okay, I know who you are. I know what you like to do. Like, we'll still keep you on board. Um, but you're not so much focused on like the ownership of like the company um, as you are about innovating. Yeah. So as we know, it was an immediate yes. Uh, Logan and Robert made the deal of a lifetime. So do we think that Rockblocks is still a company? No, I don't. Nope. I don't think Robert... I don't think Robert pushed it forward. I bet they actually started using it and it scratched up a bunch of records. They were like, oh man, this thing is total garbage. John and the scratching of the records. I'm telling you, I got this album and it's got a big scratch on it. And I'm like, oh. Um, I would say as a company, no, a product within some sort of larger company sphere um, of products, sure, yeah. Well, prepare to be surprised. Not only is Rockblock still a company, they're raking in the dough at millions of dollars in annual revenue. Orders skyrocketed from three to five units a day to around 100 to 200 units a day after the segment aired. So a lot of publicity uh, from coming on Shark Tank. There's currently a wait list for the Rockblocks product for December 2022. So get your orders in early if you're looking to give this gift to that person in your life with the love of music and a small apartment. And last up in the tank, we have Doorbot, a Shark Tank legend. Since its appearance, the company has been acquired by Big Daddy Bezos over at Amazon and renamed to what we now all know as Ring first aired in November of 2013, back in season five. And we have Jamie Siminoff um, coming to Sharks asking for a $700,000 investment for a 10% uh, equity in his company, which comes out to a $7 million valuation, which I know technology can be valued at a high amount, uh, especially for hardware, but $7 million is a lot. Uh, but Doorbot is essentially the first ever video doorbell built for the smartphone. And their unique value proposition is that it is the first video doorbell that is two-way between smartphones versus camera only, which was currently available in the market. So I guess we'll start off. Have any of you utilized any Doorbot now known as Ring products? And what did you think about the initial pitch? Me and maybe my whole neighborhood are involved in the in the doorbot yeah. ring business at this point. I mean, okay, so we're coming into this bias. We already know where the company ended up being. So I'm watching this like, mm -hmm. come on, are you not seeing the vision? Like, hello, like you can see and talk yeah. to them on your phone. What is like, what are you not getting? So through the initial pitching process, I was, I was, I guess, um, impressed. And also, Ariel, I am going to tweet Jeff Bezos and tell him that you called him that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this is why he's working so hard Please in the gym. <laughs> OK, so I don't I don't have a ring, but I have watched lots and lots and lots of social media videos uh, from people's ring devices. And it mm -hmm. is fun. I'm with you, Nicole, that it is so hard to like agnostically watch 
a pitch on a product that you know went on to be so successful mm-hmm. and like put yourself in the shoes of the pitch and yeah, don't be biased in uh, in evaluating it. Cause I, I started the same way. I'm like, oh, it's ring. I'm like, this is incredible. This is like such a great product. But at the time, like, I don't know. First of all, he's asking for a lot of money for Shark Tank. Right. Right. And I almost felt like, we'll get into the negotiation later. I feel like a lot of sharks just bailed because they were just like, I just don't want to, like, that's just a ton of money. But Mm -hmm. like, if you just were like, you know, looking at this product agnostically, I think some some things that stood out to me is number one, Jamie's totally right. Like the, the TAM on this is like literally every house in the world. Like that's so many households. So the TAM is gigantic. And he's selling it at a great price point, $200 to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, it basically, it costs him 80 bucks to make. So he's making great yeah. margins on it. I don't know. I just like agnostically was like, why wouldn't you invest in this? Yeah. When I heard that too, I was like, is this that, you know, reality TV producer thing happening where the producer's like, give them a hard time. Like, you know, because I yeah. was like, I can't see a world in which they're really being this difficult about about this product. Like, come on. You're, mm-hmm. Yes, there are camera doorbells that on homes and the rich and famous have probably had it for however long. But this is the first one where you can look on your phone like that is that is the key there. You can be anywhere. You can even be nowhere near your home and see who was at your house and and talk to them. Yeah. You agnostically now, does it make you think of any other products kind of that we've seen on Shark Tank and maybe what they could have been if they just got the investment? <laughs> like, well, like, what about the guy who wanted to put like the Bluetooth headset in our heads and charge it through our <laughs> ears? Like that could have been huge. Like maybe if yeah. he got the money, maybe Jeff Bezos would have bought it and he would have been working out in the gym, talking to people on the phone without a phone, you know, like it's hard to evaluate that. But I do think it is hard to like put yourself into like a futuristic mindset. There's some scary mm-hmm. things about it. I, I think Mark or Robert brought up hacking which is like mm-hmm. a very real concern. You're like, well, if someone hacks into my house, can they like get into my house? Can they look at videos? Like, what can they see? What can they access? Yeah. Can they unlock my door? Like there are all these things about it that you start to be like, uh, that makes me a little nervous. But to me, I don't know if I had if I had the money as an investor, the the business itself just seems so good. I would I would consider it. Yeah. Oftentimes I feel like people tend to uh, think themselves a little a little bit more highly than maybe the other people would in terms of the fact that like you're not hiding the hope diamond the average person is not hiding crystals and gems <laughs> in their home does not have the secrets of the government like i don't think i mean you don't know how many gems i'm currently <laughs> holding right now in my apartment <laughs> All right. So let's take a look at some of the sales Um, so far. When Jamie came on the show, he said that they had an aggregate of $1 million in sales. And all of that came from direct sales, which I always think is a good indicator of that like demand that you have within the market. Uh, He mentioned that sales grew month over month, primarily online. So it was great to see that that was already there, um, especially for, you know, something that has a pretty high, you know, price point for consumers, you know, $200, you know, isn't cheap for most, you know, families or people who have, you know, multiple families living in like households. I, I may not have a ring, but I do have a smart plug that I can control my coffee maker with. Mm. And um, I can't think of much else in the past you know, 10 to 20 years that has made me feel like more of a superhero than the ability to turn on my coffee maker by pushing a button on my phone. Like (laughs) I've gone to people's homes who have like smart everything and they're on their phone. They can't ever get it to work right, but they are so pumped. I think people just love the idea that they can control things in their home without having to get up, 
I think it makes him feel like technologically enabled. I think it kind of makes him feel cool, makes him feel like they've transcended. Like, so <laughs> I think that that is one of the trends here that you know we're missing out on. And I think actually first mover advantage on this was actually a pretty big deal. Um, the the rebrand to Ring was very smart. The videos that they allow you to post online, they all have a watermark that says ring on it. And so it's like, oh, you mm -hmm. all know what they're using. Good branding. My personal take is this is a uh, valuation and size of investment issue. I think it was just like, you want us to take a small chunk at a huge valuation of something that like is kind of out of our area of expertise. And, and you know, we don't really know much about this market if it's going to be successful. And so I think they just all kind of copped out. Mm. For sure. Kevin's offer kind of shows that a little bit, right? Of like how much risk that is to give up front. So he offers $700,000 for 10% royalty and 5% equity, to which Jamie counters back for 10% interest and a 3% equity kicker, which was interesting from the interest perspective as opposed to royalty. Yeah. So this royalty is an interesting one, right? Because it basically... He's like, I want a 10% royalty on everything up until I make my $700,000 back. And then I want a 7% royalty after that on every other doorbot ever sold. Like, kudos to Jamie for being respectful and not just laughing in Mr. Wonderful's face. But like, that takes $20 off of his gross margin. It, it takes his, you know, it's 17% of his total gross margin that he has available. And my guess is that to sell a $200 product that, involves like putting a camera on your home is going to be expensive to sell and market it. I just think it is, even though it gained a ton of momentum, I think it was still a bit of an educational sale. I bet it took a lot of advertising and I'm just not sure you can give up that, that money as part of the royalty, nor does he actually need it, right? Like if he could get a great deal out of the sharks and they could help and give us some credibility, he's pumped. He does not have to bend over backwards to do a deal right now. This company is going to be really successful. He can raise money other ways. Yeah. And I think, you know, Jamie, Jamie knew that towards the end, he stood pretty firm um, in saying no deal uh, that he made with the sharks and walked away without an offer. There was that great moment, Ariel, where uh, Mr. Wonderful actually goes, <laughs> OK, Jamie, it's that moment when I say you're dead to me. And I was like, yes, that's a good moment. It's rare. It's rare that Mr. Wonderful rolls it out like that. Um, I thought it was but I thought it was a good line. I think he respected that, though, when Jamie's just like, yeah, no. And you could just see on his face, you know, I think there was that mutual respect there, despite Jamie being completely dead to Kevin afterwards. But I bet he's regretting that um, now. So moving on to our favorite segment, is this still a company? We know that's now been rebranded uh, to Ring, but let's talk about how DoorBot got there after Shark Tank. Um, so DoorBot had the glow up of the century, although no sharks took the bite. Amazon certainly did. After the segment aired, they made another $1 million within the first month. They sold on QVC for $22.5 million. Even attracted investments from Richard Branson and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, you heard me right. In 2018, Amazon bought DoorBot, renamed it to Ring, for $1 billion. Jamie not only remains the CEO of Ring, but he also became a guest shark in season 10. So we love to see uh, them switch over to the other side of the table. So final question for everyone as we kind of close out, which of these holiday gifts are you buying this season and for who? All right. I'm buying, I'm buying the Poppet Pal. I'm buying a Poppet Pal. Sold. I'm giving one to everybody in my family. Yes. <laughs> 
You will now become a. It's too weird. It's too different. It's too weird. It's too gross. Everyone needs to de-stress. I don't know. I think I just do it. If I was doing some sort of like white elephant gift exchange, I would get the the poppet pal. But um, if I'm thinking realistically, I'm probably going with the ring. I do have some friends who have recently purchased homes. I think a ring is a great housewarming mm. gift. Just um. And very yeah. practical. It's something that I would want myself. I think with a rock block, I'd probably use it once and put it back on my <laughs> shelf. And with a pop it pal, same thing. After I get annoyed that the silicone is like stuck in my carpet or somewhere. <laughs> but there's glitter crazy. now, so it'll be sparkly yes. in your carpet. <laughs> the the gift that keeps on giving, the thing you can never get rid of, glitter. Yes. <laughs> Make it worse. Yeah, I don't know. I could see having some friends that would be into the rock block just because like I have a lot of friends that, you know, will want to like chill at like the picnic or like the park and like go somewhere and have that portability if you don't have like a speaker. But I could see some friends that would be uh, interested. Today's festive episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. You know what makes for a great gift? This podcast. So tell your Shark Tank loving family, friend, or enemy this holiday season to give us a listen. Thank you so much, Nicole and John, for joining us today. And happy Happy holidays. holidays.